My name is Jeremy Devins, and this is the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And today's episode is all about applying the eight limbs of yoga to your practice and teaching. So we're going back to the roots of yoga and the fundamentals and the foundation of yoga philosophy. Because this is where I always start in my yoga teacher trainings. And the second class of the online Quiet Mind Yoga Teacher Training is happening right now. And we just finished our Yoga Origins training. And uh, in that context, we go very in-depth, but also very quickly through the whole history of yoga philosophy and its origins. So in this episode, I'm going to go a little bit deeper and actually over the next several episodes, going a little deeper into each of the yamas and niyamas, each of the eight limbs of yoga. I'm going to be sharing different perspectives, quotes, practices you can do to apply these things to your own practice, your own life, and if you're a teacher, to teaching as well. So we're starting today with the overview of all of this. And what are the eight limbs of yoga? Where does it come from? Why is it something that people still follow now 2,000 plus years later? So if you're new to all this, you're new to me, you can go to quietmind.yoga is my website where you can see everything I'm up to. And I have weekly podcast, a weekly yoga podcast called Quiet Mind Yoga with a free audio class every Sunday and a Quiet Mind Astrology podcast, which is a new astrology lesson, Vedic Astrology, the sister science of yoga, every Thursday. And then here is the Yoga Teacher Training podcast, new episodes like this every Tuesday. And if you want the videos of classes, more in-depth lessons, more mini workshops that I offer, and one-to-one feedback on your yoga practice, that's what the Quiet Mind Yoga membership is. And that's at quietmind.yoga membership. So it's $9.97 a month or $97 a year, save 20 bucks. And that's where I put weekly video classes with the audio as well if you want that. And there's live Zoom classes. That's what the video comes from, a live Zoom class you can join in. And there's mini workshops. So if there's specific things you want to learn like building up to headstand or improving your balance, these little mini workshops address those specific issues to help you build what I call and what Uh, science calls deliberate practice. So it's not just random things, but very specific things that you're learning. So today we're going to get a little bit into this topic of the eight limbs of yoga, which could take a lifetime of study and uh, research, but today just covering the big overview of it, and then we'll get into each uh, specific limb in more depth. Starting with the origins. So the eight limbs of yoga comes from the Yoga Sutra. And right away, Yoga Sutra it's important to say uh, what that means. Yoga's union, connection, and the uniting of things comes from yoj or yuj to yoke, to unite. And it was used traditionally to mean bringing horses to a carriage and putting them together. And that horse would now drive the carriage. Uh, in this case, it's sort of the wild horse of the mind connecting to the carriage of the body and uh, the true self is now driving that. So that's sort of the metaphor where we get the word of yoga to mean what it means now. So in the Rig Veda, the oldest text in this whole philosophy and one of the oldest spiritual texts on earth, uh, which was actually passed down orally for a long time before it was written in 1700s BCE. In the Vedas, they talk about yoga as this sort of Uh, originally they just talk about it in the very literal sense of yoking a horse to a carriage and then driving that carriage. Uh, And then it became more metaphorical 
later throughout the Rig Veda and in later texts, especially in the Upanishads, which are sort of the end of the Vedas. So this is all the way back, 1700 BCE at least, and then all the way up maybe to like 500, 200 BCE, start to get into the end of the Upanishads. And that's where they start talking about yoga as a metaphor now. So it's not just this literal action of bringing a horse to a carriage, but now it's a metaphor for uh, the wild horse of the mind, which is always uncontrollable in a way. It's always got this power and this energy and momentum to it. But just like a horse, it can be tamed and directed and uh, utilized as a way to move us forward through life and this carriage of the body. And the true self is the mind, the, the charioteer, like the metaphor of the Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna is the charioteer, God, this form of God, of spirit, universe, whatever word you want to use for that, is what's ultimately guiding this vessel, this chariot that we have in this uh, finite time here on earth. So from this, from these uh, metaphors of yoga, they started to become more specific philosophies. And even before the eight limbs of yoga, in the Upanishads, there's a mention of these five petals of a flower, which are uh, some of the similar, some of the limbs of yoga are included in there, such as focusing the mind, such as uh, directing the postures of the body to be intentional with the postures. And this, these five uh, sort of petals of uh, practice were added to these teachings from Jainism Jainism is where the yamas and niyamas can really you can really see the origins of them and they have these sort of disciplines and practices. Jainism is a similar uh, there's a lot of overlap in this whole region of India where there was Jainism, Buddhism, uh, the Upanishads, which became Vedanta philosophy. So all these philosophies, which you know Vedanta is similar, you could say yoga philosophy, uh, very similar, a lot of overlap. So all these philosophies were kind of emerging and taking ideas from each other and there was a lot of overlap and very similar concepts uh, some you know just didn't believe in reincarnation or some did or you know there were some distinctions but it's interesting to see how this yoga philosophy what patanjali compiled because it's uh, the the uh, yoga sutra is not a completely original work it's a compilation of everything up to that point so it took these these five sort of limbs of yoga that pre-existed. They weren't called limbs of yoga yet. Uh, from the Upanishads, it took these sort of ethical choices from Jainism. You know, it doesn't. There's nowhere that directly says that, right? So that's sort of my uh, understanding of looking at history of like, hmm, this person said this over here, and then a couple hundred years later, now it's written in this text over there. So we don't, of course, I mean. We don't have clear records of things that happened 100 years ago, let alone 2,000 years ago. But we do have some general guidelines of you know what we believe from the uh, historians and scholars who study this stuff much more in depth than I do, that we can see that there are likely some of this sort of evolution happening here. So now we get to about 200 BCE. This is where the Yoga Sutra is compiled by Patanjali. Again, a lot of sort of debate, is that a person? Because there are some other texts credited to Patanjali, and the dates seem far apart. 
this is similar to the, the name Vyasa is credited as the author of the Vedas and the Upanishads and some later texts hundreds of years later. So, you know, who knows? It could be just a name for many people. It could be the name of one person. Could be somebody lived many hundreds of years, right? Anything is possible. We we don't know specifically what was happening at the time, but there was a lot of talk back then of people living hundreds of years. Uh, but who knows, right? So I, I don't get into any specific holding on to belief of like this is you know the truth. Uh, you know, some people lived did live hundreds of years. I don't know. Right? I don't have the evidence to back that up. But what I, we do know is that the Yoga Sutra were written and sometime dated back sometime between 200 BCE and 200 CE, so about 2,000 years ago, and is credited to Patanjali. And in that text, there isn't very much at all, as some of you may know, about asana, about postures. Now, there were things written about postures before this in the Upanishads, so there were mentions of postures way back then right so it's not just modern gymnastics of course that definitely influenced modern vinyasa yoga but it didn't all just start 80 years ago with some gymnastics in uh, danish gymnastics uh, there are talks of postures of things besides just sitting postures even in the upanishads but mainly the oldest ones talked about were seated meditation postures so the uh, Yoga Sutra, which means yoga, union, you know, to unite the body and mind to the true self. And sutra means thread. So we're weaving this thread. And it is very common that there were other sutra at the time. And a uh, common misconception mistake here is we pluralize things in the West by adding an S at the end. But sutra is the plural of sutra. To say sutras is not actually the plural. So... It's a little tricky habit to break, and I definitely say sutras all the time. It's just a common English thing, but it's like fish is the plural of fish, right? So we don't say fishes. So sutra is that way, and asana is that way. Asana is the plural of asana. But these are common sort of Western things. We just throw an S on the end, so we know we're talking about a plural thing. But the Yoga Sutra is the threads of yoga, and in here is 196 little seeds, little aphorisms that are meant to be chanted and memorized and expounded upon with a teacher one-to-one -one over a long period of time. At least that's my understanding from my research and my teachers. It, uh, on its own, if you just try to read through the thing, which I tried to do initially, it's like, all right, I'm just going to read through this text and it's only 196 little phrases. Easy. Uh, it's not easy. It's dense, right? These are really dense seeds. These are uh, not meant to be just quickly consumed and then moved on to the next thing. These are lifelong lessons, and you could spend months and months and years living with just one, living with just uh, yoga, chitta, vritti, nirodha. Yoga is the quieting of the mind, and this is why I call my business Quiet Mind Yoga. Everything I do is Quiet Mind Yoga. To remind me of that origin, that root of yoga, that that's what it is. It's about quieting the mind. And I've spent many, many years just living with that and, and digesting that one sutra. Or another, the most common is uh, stira sukha asana, right? That's the only real description of what a posture is and how to do a posture. To have stira and sukha, as I mentioned on a previous episode, balancing effort and ease within the posture. 
So just with those, I mean, that is a lifelong study of just being aware of stira and sukha in our lives and being okay with times of sukha, times of contraction, like many of us are experiencing right now when I'm posting this, times of ease, of not being productive. And that's totally okay and actually necessary. And then in the postures, having times of rest and ease and softness, that's just as essential as firmness and stability and structure, right? We need both to find balance. And just really digesting that and exploring that and being curious about that is powerful stuff. So that's what the Yoga Sutra is as a whole. Like there's many, many of these little seeds like that, 196, each one of them could be a lifelong study of practice and exploration. And within that, there's this teaching of the eight limbs of yoga. And that's what we're going to focus on now over the next several weeks in this new series. So the eight limbs of yoga or Ashtanga yoga. Ashta means eight. Anga means limb. So this is where Ashtanga yoga comes from, the eight limbs of yoga. And Patavi Joyce made that sort of his brand of his name of his style of yoga, Ashtanga yoga, but is primarily focused on asana, right? Anyone says, I do Ashtanga yoga, you immediately think of the asana, right? It's the primary series, secondary series, third series, second series, not secondary. My mistake shows how much I practice second series, which is never. I have not practiced second series. I've done some primary series for a few months. I've steadily practiced. My partner, Christine, practiced it for many years and is actually on the second series of her practice, uh, but had to stop due to knee injury, which is a common thing in Ashtanga. People get knee injuries, and uh, that's why I never really fully went down that path. Uh, but that's a sidebar. Uh, but just interesting to know, that's why uh, that's where the Ashtanga Yoga comes from. This comes from the Yoga Sutra 2,000 years ago. And I think the intention of Patavi Joyce is that the practice is not just about asana, but it's about practicing all these eight limbs. And uh, I think in general, in the popular culture, uh, just the way things are, most people don't really think of Ashtanga Yoga as all of these other things. They just think of it as the very physical asana. So what are the eight limbs? As you may know, uh, there's yama, niyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. So those are the eight limbs of yoga. So we'll get into each one in their own episode over these next several weeks. But in general, that is what but that is what Patanjali in the Yoga Sutra recommends practicing to create this, this experience of yoga, this experience of quieting the mind. Now, it's an interesting point of discussion and exploration for yourself here. Of, is samadhi now the goal? So are we practicing yoga to get to samadhi? Is this a sequential step-by-step process of I do the yamas, I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't cheat, right? And I don't grasp. And then I do the niyamas and I practice cleanliness and contentment and tapas. And I practice asana and pranayama and breathing practices. And I practice sense withdrawal, pratyahara, time and silence. And dharana and dhyana, I focus my mind. And then I get to this samadhi, this goal of yoga, this enlightenment. And this was. I think more so in the past, like maybe before, say you found this stuff 100 years ago and there's this promise that 
there's this sort of reward that you can get from being very disciplined and practiced and you know there's there's no internet there's no way to really validate or know and this is even like 40 50 years ago and this is why i think there were so many highly influential gurus and you know you see like in the 60s the beatles had their guru so everyone wanted their guru the beatles were a leading pop culture and then a lot of people took advantage of that and there's a lot of sort of dis stories of disenchantment of people going to india to find their guru only to to come back empty pockets and uh, not really feeling like they learned or achieved anything uh, because the sort of this abuse of this uh, need for a teacher or guru or this seeking of enlightenment is something that I need to get to, right? So there's that perspective that I, I always have in the back of my mind of, you know, if I get to this samadhi, if I get to, if I say, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z and I'll get to this point and then enlightenment peace bliss i feel amazing okay now what so let's say i get there now what right so it, to me it's like what about right now can i find samadhi right now can i find the sense of peace oneness connection to all things while i'm eating my lunch while i'm looking at the news i'm scrolling social media while i'm recording a podcast while i'm walking through nature right why do we need to put the goalpost somewhere far further outside of ourselves and know that like like with anything if we once we get there if we do all these things rigorously then what what is what difference how does it help people what does it help me what what am i doing you know so i believe really ultimately it comes down to what martin luther king jr said is the life's most fundamental question and the pressing question is, how are you helping others? All right, so if this is ultimately helping others experience peace, freedom, liberation, these same sort of things, great. I think that is for the best. Um, if it's just helping you experience this and detaching you from society and maybe even causing harm to people around you uh, from disconnecting or eschewing your responsibilities, you know, is that really yogic is that really union is that really connecting the self to the true self to the uh the namaste we say namaste it's because we recognize there's something inside of us that's true and pure and uh right that that sort of true self the atman and we see that in other people and we say from that part of me about to that part of you and there's a sort of connection of like you know, I see you, I see you, you know, your your mask, your persona, you see my mask, my persona, my identity, these roles we play, these, these jobs we have, but underneath that, there's something deeper and more true and real, and uh, that is what we bow to when we say namaste, and that is what ultimately I think we're connecting to when we get to have the state of samadhi, it's just that part is clearer that part is less obscured it's it's easier to feel connected to that part and not as much connected to i need to eat i need to survive and have this job i need to pay these bills right those things are all part of being human uh, but i think we can stay connected to the true self and do all those things uh, and see that in others and i think that's ultimately you know, it's can we find samadhi in all experiences and throughout all of the yamas? So that's sort of my personal 
color and perspective on it. Of, uh, it's not just a linear path of going from yamas and niyamas all the way to samadhi. Uh, but one of my teachers uh, would say that samadhi is just the beginning. So you can go through these linear steps and now what? Now you now you go forth and apply what you've learned by helping others. So that's one perspective. Uh, I think, you know, it's sort of interwoven. It's like it's sometimes it's, it's important to be practicing uh, tapas at the same time as practicing dharana and, and focus, concentration. At the same time as practicing uh, sense withdrawal as being in the asana, right? So it's all just sort of interwoven, just like all things, right? We're all in incredibly interwoven with each other and with our experiences. And uh, I used to think about this of like just taking a shower, right? Somebody I never met and will never meet had to make that water fountain, or, or the uh, that spout that the water is coming out of, and somebody I'll never meet is managing that water so that it flows into my sink, right? And somebody I'll never meet made that sink, and somebody I'll never meet designed that sink and said we should have a sink. Let's let's make somewhere that water goes, right? So it's just like infinitely endless. Somebody designed the clothes you're wearing. You'll never meet. Uh, it, to just like say you could possibly disconnect from anything at all is almost impossible to to take any to take yourself out of that whole interconnected system is almost impossible it really is impossible it's what uh, in yoga philosophy is also called indra's net it's like this net of connection of all things are connected and you see like the artist alex gray who was a huge influence on me early on in my spiritual walk uh, he has these drawings and depictions of these incredibly interconnected, colorful things with like eyes on everything and things like that. These uh, interconnected, interconnected geometric patterns, and uh, that's sort of an example of what Indra's net might be, and what we might see, uh, sort of underneath the layers. And I don't know, maybe if you do psychedelic drugs, which I've never gotten into, but uh, I, I can hear that I've heard that can enhance that ability to to see the interconnectedness. Uh, I'm always of the mindset of let's do it naturally. Let's sort of tap into that through yoga and meditation. And I feel I have maybe experienced some, some of that to some degree. Uh, I wouldn't know, but I feel like I do have some awareness of the, you know, this interconnectedness. And I think the uh, eight limbs of yoga is a powerful way to do that. So we're going to go through this linearly in this format of the podcast and go through each one each week. Uh, but that's just a starting point for this week to consider of uh, these are the eight limbs of yoga, and which one for you uh, feels most resonant, most important, most worth your own research and exploration? The yamas, the things that you don't do, and these are ahimsa, satya, asteya, brahmacharya, aparigraha. Ahimsa, non-harming. Asteya, ahimsa, uh, um, satya, my mistake, satya, truth, telling the truth, non-lying. Asteya, non-stealing, not taking what's not given to you. Uh, uh, brahmacharya, not wasting your energy. And aparigraha is non-grasping. Right? So, and brahmacharya is uh, sometimes interpreted as abstinence, as in abstaining from sex. But brahmacharya, it means to walk with Brahman. Uh, Krishnamacharya, as uh, the great teacher of uh, from eight, born in 1888, who taught all of the modern teachers, uh, teachers, 
So uh, Krishnamacharya meant to walk with Krishna. Brahmacharya means to walk with Brahman. And Brahman is uh, another, it's sort of Atman. Atman and Brahman. Atman's like my true self. Brahman's like the true self of all interconnected people, like the universe, right? And I'm a drop in that ocean and you're a drop in that ocean. So uh, to walk with that, that universe, that energy of the universe, the energy that creates worlds, as Abraham Hicks says, that I love to think about, that energy that creates worlds of infinite creative potential and possibility, that's what I'm acharya, a student of, walking with, studying, and observing, and not wasting this opportunity, this precious gift that we have to be alive, this short period of time on earth, uh, so you can waste that through sex, you can waste it through drugs, you can waste it through scrolling through Facebook or overeating, uh, anything. There's many, many ways you can waste your energy that didn't even exist when this was written down 2,000 years ago. Uh, but in a word, it's brahmacharya. Uh, so that's a little sidebar there. We'll get into that more later. Uh, but then, so that's the yamas, the things you don't do. Don't waste your energy, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't take from others. Uh, don't harm others so is that most resonant for you is that something that you want to explore most in this series we're going to do or is it the niyamas the things you do do like cleanliness contentment uh, so i'll just say the sanskrit uh, sacha santosha tapas uh, svadhyaya ishvari pranidhana uh, sacha the cleanliness santosha contentment tapas having passion and drive and focus Svadhyaya, having self-study, self-awareness, and Ishvari Pranidhana, surrender to something greater than yourself, source, God, universe, whatever you want to call it. Those are the things we do, the, the niyamas. Or is it the asana, the posture, and that's where you're focused right now on your physical body, understanding your body better, and the anatomy, and the alignment, and the physical body. Or is it the pranayama, and your breathing, are you having trouble breathing? Uh, a, a common issue that I've worked with for years is that very often one of my nostrils is a little, just a little bit clogged. So the energy channel is not fully open. And I have to be really mindful of that and intentional to not do things that like eat things that clog it up, um, not overwhelm my system to clog it up, right? So making sure I'm doing things like neti pot and cleansing my uh, energy channels with the breathing practices. Or is it pratyahara, sense withdrawal? of just turning everything off, like turning off the phone, the distractions, the noise, the media, uh, just having some time in silence, even if just for one minute a day, right, pratyahara. Or dharana and dhyana, this is concentration and then absorption in that concentration. So very, very focused. Do you have trouble focusing? Would you, if you've been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD, right? So this is might be an area for you that you wanna focus on when we go through this series. Or is it samadhi? And this could be where maybe you're, with all these things, maybe you have too much of them. Maybe you're too disciplined and you're too much restraint. And I had a, a teacher I followed who was just meticulous and very hard on himself and very, very disciplined to the point of doing that for years and then feeling lonely and isolated and disconnected. Of just too being too harsh on himself, too much stira, too much effort. Right. And the same thing with Samadhi. Now you could be too much of that, too much of like blissed out and just everything's love and high vibes only and, and, and sort of disregarding other people's experiences and empathy for other people. Uh, or it could be that you're like, well, I don't even know what 
this samadhi. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, life is hard, dude. Like, you don't understand, right? So maybe it's like you've never experienced that uh, sense of inner peace. Maybe you always feel a sense of urgency or fear or anxiety. And that's okay too, right? And maybe that's always this low-level anxiety that you've been, you've been able to manage with yoga to some degree, but it's still there and that's like really the driving force right so we'll explore that we'll get underneath maybe see what's there see what's in there that might be blocking this uh experience of contentment peace openness receptivity connection to other things so we'll get into all of that over the several weeks ahead i'm really excited to share this with you if you have a particular thing you're looking forward to learning or questions about any of the eight limbs of yoga and uh, anything that I shared here today, please reach out to me on the new Quiet Mind community. This is free for everybody to join. This is where I share about my, all the things I'm up to and the new episodes. It's a, uh, it's a private Facebook group on Facebook, or you can go to um, the link in the show notes. But if you go on Facebook, you can look up Quiet Mind community. Quiet Mind is one word. And you can see that and ask to join and I'll let you in and you can share about your experience with the eight limbs of yoga. And as we go through this series, anything that stands out for you. And if you like this sort of um, more in-depth study of things, that's what I'm offering in the new Quiet Mind Yoga membership, which will have many workshops that includes video and visuals and practices that you can do to apply these things. And this week on Thursday, we'll be sharing uh, a video on how to work up into headstand and uh, what might physically we want to work with energetically uh, and show you the anatomy and alignment of that to build up into headstand and each week there will be little objectives like that to progress your practice physically energetically emotionally mentally so if you're interested that's quietmind.yoga membership all right thank you for listening and look forward to sharing next week when we get into all about the first yama. So there's five yamas, five niyamas. We'll get into the first yama, which is ahimsa, non-harming, which interestingly, Gandhi led his whole life based on this one principle. He has tons of quotes about ahimsa. Ahimsa, ahimsa was huge for his whole nonviolent protest, which led to the liberation and independence of India. Those of you maybe in America don't realize how huge, like we talk about the 4th of July. I mean, India just had their own equivalent of the 4th of July within like maybe your parents' lifetime, maybe your lifetime, right? Not that long ago. Uh, so uh, that was all really driven by ahimsa. And Gandhi's whole life was focused on ahimsa. How can we achieve this goal that seems massive and monumental without harming anybody? And we'll talk all about that and how you can apply ahimsa in your life. And even if you don't think that you harm anybody or harm yourself, there's some really interesting perspectives that we can approach this from. So we'll get into all that next week on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. I hope you found this helpful. And again, if you want to check out more quietmind.yoga/membership or join the private Facebook group and share about your thoughts on this episode. All right. Thank you for listening and have a great week.